Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We're uh, lots on the go right now, but it's, it's going well. Yes, I feel like th- this morning we both kind of had that moment of just the the freeze, I'm going to say. So it's like the flight, flight, fight, flight, or freeze. And I think both of us just had this like freeze of, oh, no, there's so much coming up and so many things we could be doing that it's actually almost the panic of so much to do that what do you do? Um, so we, we went back to our old standby of calm down, make a list, start checking it off. Uh, are you are you feeling a little better now? I would say I'm still in the list in the calendar, but I, I do think that that's a helpful, you know, I, I do like that calendar where a lot of stuff doesn't need to happen immediately or be perfect right now. You know, I have in some cases, you know, we're two weeks out on this stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, we're getting there. Yeah. And that's, I mean, totally not sponsored, although they should sponsor us at this point. I am a huge fan of my Todoist app for that. It's this free app that lets you kind of have that to-do list, but you all, it also has calendar functionality. So you can, you know, write down your to-do item and actually just put it, you know, a couple weeks in the future kind of thing. Uh, and I just find that extremely helpful for even the tiniest little things. Um, like half of my to-do list is just these little like 30 second things, but they don't make sense until that day in the future. Because I know there's that whole tip of like, uh, if you can do it in two minutes, just do it now. But that doesn't always actually make sense when it's, you know, oh, I have to you know, message this person or like post this thing or, you know, all of these little things that you just can't do in the moment because they need to get done in the future. Mm. Okay. I'm getting very confusing for people that don't really do any of this listing. Right, right, so I apologize. Right. But anyway, it does kind of all go with today's theme, which is just a few thoughts on racing. Um, We've both had pretty big races in the last month here. Uh, Peter just finished mountain bike nationals. I think he might still be cooling down from it. I don't know if I cooled down. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> I slept okay, but definitely even despite air conditioning, we got turned on last night. Yeah. Heated up. Rough. <laughs> but yeah. we expect this. this is what summer races and you know, that's what it's all about. Um, you know, yeah. you put it on the line that one time a year or two times a year. And I think we're going to get into that, putting it on the line uh, for sure. Uh, so this isn't necessarily a mistakes episode, but it, it is sort of a mistakes episode. Uh, so this is not to say that either of us made any ridiculously huge mistakes in our races. But uh, every, every time we, we race, it sort of just makes us think about stuff that we've written in our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, stuff that we've talked about on the podcast, stuff guests have told us. Uh, so well, yeah. and let's be honest, we make mistakes every single time, right? Every like you, single you think time. it's not that we are perfect in any of this stuff. That's why we're, you know, that's why you're keen about making lists and stuff, right? Is that you continuously <laughs> screw stuff up and, uh, you know, why am I passionate about bike skills? Cause I fall on my face. Most times I ride my bike. Um, and so there's that piece. And then I think the other thing is when we're at these races, again, it's great now to actually see people. So it's been super, super, you know, great to see people we haven't seen in some cases, you know, in three years uh, or the better part thereof. Uh, but the other thing that comes with that is, you know, a bit of people watching, if I'm honest, uh, whether that's athletes I coach or athletes I know or just strangers at these races, uh, just what do they do? What's their, you know, what's their 
pre-race routine, you know, what is the weird jumps and hops and stuff people do and stretches that suddenly they need to do. And, and, you know, how intense do they get, right? I watched several grown men screaming at the step-up jump. Just, <laughs> how does that make sense? Right, but it's, it's good. It's good people watching. Uh, what you just reminded me, my race a few weeks ago, um, if you recall, we were standing there and we were there pretty early, so we were just kind of waiting around. And it was, there's that social experiment where the one guy in like the group just starts dancing and then slowly you see the cascade of people that start dancing mm. at running races. It's the guy doing like the weird quad stretch or 100%. like jogging across the field. And then you see like another two guys jogging yeah, across con- it's the contagion. field. It's like yawning or something. Yeah. If some person's, you know, doing their quad stretch or their, you know, the hops across the, the, the lawn. And I'm t- like, I'm guilty of that. I was, we're literally laughing no, you about You have to it. stretch your quad if you see someone else stretch your quad. Yeah, there's no yeah. way around it. I think as we were like pointing, about, you know, we're like pointing it out, we're like, oh, those guys are quad stretching. And I look down and here I am like grabbing my, <laughs> grabbing my foot. Yeah, or you want to be different, but suddenly your arm's swinging or like your <laughs> yeah, neck, exactly. you got to like get your neck stretched out all of a sudden. Yep, you know, you've never yep. stretched your neck before you run, but now all of a sudden you're, you know, just you're doing head circles or something. <laughs> Yeah, so don't feel bad if that's you. That's all of No, us. it's everyone. You can't stop yawning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, we have a few key points here that we're going to get into. And the first one uh, is one that I actually wrote a bit about on our blog over at consummateathlete.com, and that's respect every race. And honestly, I think it's best to almost feel like every race is your first race in, in some way. I mean, obviously, we don't want to be absolutely petrified if that's how you were for your first race. But I think if I recall back to my first triathlon, like, oh my gosh, I I read every, even the 100 miler back in February. To get ready for that, I read everything. If there was like a tiny blog or Facebook post or Instagram about that race, I was reading it. I must've read the, the website like 300 times. Um, and admittedly, that website was actually like pretty light on information to some extent, really great race, um, but it was not like, the most it wasn't a 200 page tech guide or anything like that so it was pretty easy to read everything okay but you know the the nerves going into that the prep going into that um just the amount of time spent thinking about it it seems a little excessive but i mean flip side like if this race really matters to you if this is like the big crowning moment of your season or one of the big moments of your season why not give yourself kind of the benefit of being in that sort of beginner excited mindset of like, oh my gosh, this is the first one. Sure. And I, I'll say, you know, so my my QMT 80k race, um, I had the fastest time, but I did not have an emergency blanket in my pack as per the tech guide. And if I'd gone through the tech guide and then clicked on the rule page, I would have seen that there's a 30 minute penalty for not having an emergency blanket. And no, a windbreaker does not count as an emergency blanket. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I lost out on first place. I ended up in second because I lost 30 minutes. Yeah, and I gave you kudos at the time because I was like, I definitely would have just lied about that and (laughs) protested and screamed all over the place. But yeah, that was very sportsman, sportswomanship of you. Um, But yeah, I think that's exactly it, right? There's these tech guides. and, And this happens all the time. It's hard to read everything. Rules change. Um, you know, the counterpoint would be this past weekend at nationals, they gave out back numbers, but then in the tech guide, it said that every, only the, uh, you know, the elite and the U23s or whatever had to wear them. So then the master's categories didn't, even though they gave them number pl- things. And I was 
you know, I'm like, this is great being a master all of a sudden. You don't have to pin these things on. And then I had you reread it. And John Barnes, who is an athlete I coach, but who is very smart and has won a lot of masters nationally. And he said, for sure, we're not wearing these things. So we went, but then the commissars were, hadn't read the tech guide and did, and they wanted the back numbers. I said, absolutely not. I'm not putting this on because it says it in the tech guide. So it, it, and also I forgot my safety pins at home. So, and, and so I think that's one thing we can count on, especially when you're racing, you know, in another country or, you know, Quebec has uh, French as to the primary language. So a lot of times there is a little bit of like, it's hard to understand everything, um, which is, you know, fun sometimes in racing too. But all, I guess what I'm saying is the tech guide often rules and it's good to, to read it because it's in writing. Um, so that yeah. tends to be the thing that you want to follow. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for me that week, you know, I just come off of everyone who listens to this knows, you know, it was like Western States training camp, boom, down to Belgian waffle ride, boom, back to Western States, boom, we're on to Quebec. So honestly, like I probably didn't take the race as seriously as I should have for the fact that it was one of my big races because it was just in, it was at the end of such a blur of a month that I probably didn't give it the time that it necessarily like needed to get ready for now, it. Now, I wonder, this is an unplanned question for you. You know, we, in the plans built, we build the, you know, be a student of your sport as a reminder. And I usually try and build that out a little bit with like some links about the race that people are doing, especially for the bucket list, Leadvilles and Unbounds. Uh, and we're going to have these posts uh, on the Consummate Athlete site for more and more races uh, that we're calling Race Beta. So if you search that on the Consummate Athlete, you should find races and by all means suggest or contribute uh, to these posts. Now, what I'm going to ask you though, um, is what do you think the 20% of that being a student of yours? Because I think a lot of times going down the blog sphere, especially for these big ones, like you couldn't read so much about Unbound um, and tires for Unbound and all this stuff. And then, you know, clients will be, you know, okay, I, heard, I read this about tires and I'm like, yeah. So the Maxis Rambler has won the Unbound race a lot of times. So, you know, is there a 20%, you know, the 80-20 with this like uh, information? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I when I said that about the other race, there just wasn't that much out there. So it took only a couple hours. I think there's probably like a setting a timer kind of thing. And I think you have to kind of have like a... Well, tech guide, number one. I was just going to say it's <laughs> it's the pure... What is it? The pyramid? Um, I don't the know. hierarchy I of... Guess uh, the, of information yeah. even. Yeah. So we start with the, the tech base, guide. The base is the tech guide. Yeah. Which I think actually is the unsexy thing, right? The fun thing to do is like no, go down the... Yeah. It's a big written document yeah, often. The best thing... The fun thing is to go down the rabbit hole of YouTube and Instagram and blogs. And they'll and call these other... It's like tech guide or like athletes guide or race Bible. Yeah. And okay, so actually side note on that, a lot of the times the one from the previous year is going to be up until probably a week before the race. Honestly, read read last year's. That's how I usually do a lot of these races because it's not maybe out yet. Like QSE, the Quebec single track isn't out. So I'll Google and like dot PDF and, or something, right? Yeah. However, don't then not read sure. this year's Good guide because point. there could be huge changes, especially in this past couple of years. Now the COVID stuff is completely well, next changed. Next year, do you want to bet that the masters are wearing their back numbers? At it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Glassberg guy really yeah. messed it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, tech guide is the first thing. The website, like I said, actually, you know, I'm going to say QMT, they didn't have the 30 minute penalty listed in the tech guide. It was in the rules was section on the website. So you had to go to all of those. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it takes time to sit there and go through all of the links and stuff, but tech guide, any rule stuff, any athlete regulations, uh, you know, looking at like course maps, course profiles, that kind of stuff, do the practical stuff first. And then if you have time, you can start going through the blogs and all that uh, and take blogs with a grain of salt, right? Like if you're 
hundred percent. If you're an amateur, then maybe the top, you know, the guy that went under 10 hours at unbound, you don't his, need to know the, yeah. his strategy is not going to be relevant to you. If you're going to take 17, can take hours. a little bit. You, again, I said ramblers one. So again, is there a different tire for folks at the back that uh, this is possible? Um, you know, but I, and I think there's lots of that stuff. Some of the equipment stuff, you know, people who are going 50 kilometers an hour, maybe are going to require different stuff right than someone who's going 20 kilometers an hour yeah so i'd say if you do need to narrow it down if you don't have a lot of time to just sit and read this stuff actually try to look for people who are around you or maybe are you know are actually like in the place that you're hoping to be sure sure i guess maybe we could put coach the coach might have some, some intel or what other athletes are doing right some insight into that or mm-hmm. i've done in the past yeah so i think that's that's kind of the, the good first steps there. And I, the other point that I had, or our next point is don't skip steps. And we talked in our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, about the importance of doing that pre-race journal slash scheduling. And this is one that I consistently stick with, even if it's a smaller race, where you know, we're actually writing out the whole day you know, from packing up the race bag and all of that to what time we need to leave the house, what time, you know, staging is, what time the race is, uh, maybe build in some porta potty line time. That's one, that's one thing that I'm never going to forget. So that's not a problem here. Uh, but I think that the race day schedule is a big one and it's, it's easy to start forgetting it when you're in that groove of racing every weekend. And this is actually what happened to, to us a little bit. And thankfully we have other systems in place, but do you want to talk about this, this weekend or past weekend? Uh, yeah, I guess. So this is, I assume my race for some reason, it was in my head that we were, the race was at nine 30. So we had discussed, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we, then you and I planned out the like next morning more verbally, well, not only that, though, you actually did have it in the calendar as 9.30. I checked. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I went deep on this and, like, deceived myself. But, again, this is where probably referring to the tech guide. Yeah, and there could be updates. But as we were leaving the house, and we let, we had planned to leave with lots of time, like, way more, you know, a lot of time, actually. Uh, we weren't trying to run it super tight because we were the first race of the day as well. So, you know, you could run it tight because, like, no one's going to be there. It's like get, going for a flight at, like, 7 a.m. It's like you can't get there at 4 usually, right? You have to get there at 5 because no one's open at 4 a lot. Uh, of... PSA, do not do that at Toronto Pearson Airport. Okay, well, that's current events. But, uh, yeah, so anyhow, we left, and we were just leaving, you know, at the driveway, and I was like, there's no way that my race is at 930. It's the first race of the day. There's no re- way they would start at half past. They're going to start on the hour for sure. And then I was thinking, and I could, like, see the tech guide in my head. So then I had you check while we were driving and sure enough. So we were a little tight, but again, it was everything else. I had spent a bunch of time the day before, um, which I don't often do for a lot of other races. I don't put that much time into it. I'm a little, I would say even just like sloppy. I try and just keep stuff set up. But for this one, like I did the bike set up, everything was in the van, multiple kits, gloves and tools were in the helmet. Like right down, I was in my kit when we left. Um, so really I got out of the car, stood on my bike and started warming up and I was already checked in for the race. So we had a lot of, as you say, other systems, but it's it's just like that. St- like <laughs> the most important thing is showing up at the start line, um, you know. And and we we all, I put that in jeopardy almost, right? Yeah, and this is I think what happens when you are in a groove of in Ontario. Typically, you're racing in the elite race at the Ontario Cups, which is at one thirty p.m. So I think for you to then be racing in this master's category earlier in the day, it's the first time you've raced in this category and done the earlier race. I think the 
like 1.30, 9.30. I think the 30 came from you're so used to years of 1.30 Well, and I would times. say even spoil because a lot of times we sh- actually do show up, you know, to socialize and stuff. So, like, we might show up at 9, maybe not 9.30, but, like, to say 10 to see because there's usually a race at maybe 10.30. But then it's, you know, you have so many hours. I don't even know if – I probably don't even know what the start time is <laughs> a lot of time at these uh, – especially these more local races – because it's oh, okay you just figure it out you like double check when you get there or something right and it's like is it one is it one thirty? it doesn't really matter you eat around 10 and you know when you get there and it's pretty there's a lot of room for error when it's later in the day i guess yeah so this is that make a journal make a schedule plan out your day plan and you know all of the little things plan out your tire pressure plan out your food strategy it just gives you something to refer back to and it just kind of i think calms your nerves on race day Uh, Mm -hmm. I like packing lists, like things that I need to make sure, you know, I need to bring with me. Would have been great if I put emergency blanket on that in the last one, but here we are. (laughs) And, and I think for the people you're with, this is actually super helpful as well, because if you're, if you're bringing friends or family to the race, just giving them a copy of that actually just makes their day so much easier. Yeah. Or if you're with other racers, you know, you're traveling together, you know, this is where some of the conflict comes, you know, someone doesn't want to leave super early. Someone else wants to leave super early. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then our kind of caveat, our caveat, our side point to that is just always leaving slack in the system. So even when you do have this perfectly planned schedule, I think it's always just give yourself that extra 30 minutes, like plan everything 30 minutes early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't start your warm up 30 minutes early, but you do get to the course 30 minutes earlier than you necessarily need yeah, to be. Yeah, this is the definition of slack, right? Like if you th- picture your Google calendar or whatever calendar you use, the, the items shouldn't be rammed against each other, right? So the race is there, the warm up's there, but maybe there's a gap of 10, 15 minutes in between the race and the warm up. And then there's like arrival time or check-in time and, and these have gaps, right? And that's, you know, the classic thing is the drive to the course and, oh, we had to, a detour or there was a lot of traffic. You know, this race was sort of on the path to cottage country in Ontario. So, yeah, we know. lucked out that we didn't have any traffic on the way because we kind of used up our slack with yeah, the 30-minute yeah, uh, debate sure. there. And also, you know, as I always say, the porta potty lineup can be long at some of these races. So right. giving yourself plenty of slack well, and to even, allow for that. As you say, I think it's probably okay to schedule that as, you know, preparation, whatever you're getting your clothes on, but that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and before you leave, uh, double check your gear, double, triple check. I, I will tell you when I opened the van door on, uh, Saturday morning I was so nervous when I saw your bike for some reason I was just picturing just two flats I don't know why but in my head I was just like I'm gonna open this door and they're just both gonna be flat it's gonna Mm -hmm. be horrific Um, luckily that was not the case Um, but I think that might have just been a little bit of like past trauma from my my race where we walked down to the start of the course luckily our Airbnb was right by the start Uh, so we walked down I just have my pack on but I don't have it tightened up um you know, hit the, hit the porta potty a couple times, chatting with you, whatever. And then we're about maybe 10, 15 minutes from the start. And I'm like, okay, business time. So I start like, you know, attaching all the straps. And I realize I'm missing one of the two straps on my hydration pack. And this is a big deal. Like running with one of those straps would have been really annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably would have messed with my breathing. It would have just been like bouncing all over the place. My back would have chafed. It would yeah, have the pack wouldn't work great. So luckily, I have two of the exact same packs. Um, so I said, to, I said to Peter, could you run back to the house and get me my other pack? 
Uh, I think you actually misunderstood the assignment because you didn't realize that the straps come off the pack. That's I must have lost one in the laundry or something. Um, but you you thought I needed the other pack because I was going to swap packs entirely. No, I think I understood. I just brought three different layers of solutions. Yeah, so you that brought you, zip you could, ties, duct tape. I loved it. It was great. But then you could use the other pack as well. Um, yeah. So and luckily, that's definitely a redundancy in any of this stuff. Yeah. So luckily, I was able to quickly move that one strap to the other. But yeah, I mean, I would have been trying to search for rubber bands or something like that at the start line, just trying to figure out any way that I could have added a bit of extra. I think always zip ties and... Uh, I like hockey shin tape, but even electrical tape, but hockey shin tape, like it would have made it better. It wouldn't have been perfect. I actually would have had that in my pack because I did yeah. have a little first aid I would bag, say, so. yeah, like for first aid, I'd rather just use hockey shin tape. Yeah, um, and that's but what that's I have in my To bag. repair packs, mm. it's really strong. So even if you're actual, uh, like, uh, what would those be called? Like the arm straps yeah. of the pack. If those, I've seen that repair that. I've The seat posts on someone, their clamp had broken and we wrapped you know, a hundred times around the seat post and it kept the seat up while they were sitting on it. I was super impressed with that one. Yeah. I mean, the only problem I was worried that we would have to resort to zip ties, but then every time I'd need to refill it, it would be a problem. So thankfully someone else could probably get your bladder out, I guess. Yeah. I think it would have been really tough. Okay. Would have cost a lot of time. So there you go. Sure. I would say that's a good reason to probably do up your straps. <laughs> As you're going to the place, even if you're going to have to take them back off or something. Yeah, that's like the double and triple check your gear. Because, I mean, I've also seen racers actually like go to zip up their skin suit on the start line and the zipper is broken. I had one year, do you remember, I had two right-hand gloves. I didn't put my gloves on until the start line. And then I think you ran and got me another set of gloves or something because yeah, I see, there we do go. not like not having them. Um, but yeah, that, that's the idea. I, you know, it's, I'm excessive. I like, I like to wear my kit to the race. And sometimes even if it's a later race, I'll do it. Um, just so that I know, like, I'm not going to forget, you know, I, I walk out the door and I can basically have like the shoes and the helmet, and, you know, it's on, it's a little excessive, but definitely you want to check all that stuff there. Cause that's, it's the, the simple stuff, right? If you want to talk about the 20, it's 20% that makes the difference is having a helmet and shoes or, you know, in your, the pack that works or whatever. Yeah. So double check. Um, next thing, embrace pre-race nerves. And we've had a couple sports psychs on to talk about this. Um, but I was actually saying at the start line of QMT, I actually wasn't really feeling super race day nerves. I feel like looking back, I felt way too calm and I'm not really happy about that. Like I say, the race itself went great. Like I had a really, like I posted a really good time. It was great. But I actually kind of felt like I was missing something. And I think what I was missing was I was just far too calm. I don't know if it was fatigue from like the month or what it was or even just if i have now gotten kind of almost past the pre-race nerves and into just like oh, okay this is fine maybe it was because it was 50 miles instead of 100s and i'm like oh it's short it's not by the way i uh, also wrote a post about that because definitely went into it thinking like well it's not 24 hours so it must be it, this is gonna go so quick like i'm gonna have so much energy i actually had planned to do interviews after the race with people uh not like me getting interviewed me interviewing people thinking like no problem it was a problem. Uh, that did not work out super well. Yeah, uh, still took 12 hours. Yeah, still yeah. took 12 hours. Hey, 11 and a half. Anyway, um, honestly, I think I looking back, I wish I had just let myself feel a bit more nervous, let the race kind of sit more heavily on my shoulders. I think I was trying so hard to not feel nervous about the race that I actually just went too far down into the um, parasympathetic. I guess. I mean, it's this is where you start wondering if you people, you know, you're not preparing, 
you know, as if you are going to need to, you know, have a strap on your, your backpack or, you know, reading the tech guide. I think that's the arousal, right? Like you're not nervous. So you start slacking off a bit, right? Cause it's mm-hmm. too easy. Yeah. I just let myself calm down way too much. So I think embrace those previous nerves because that's what makes you. Do you think you let yourself like, how would you correct that? I don't know where you're going with that. Oh, I definitely like emotionally. I think I could have just been like, like, yes, I can be nervous about this and just kind of let those floodgates open. I was actually trying really hard to tamp down race nerves for like the whole week before. Hmm. Just kind of be like, you know, this is no stress. You've done 100 miles. You can definitely do 50. Like, no problem. Just get out there and go. Like, race hard. And I, you know, I still wanted to perform, but I had really talked myself into not being stressed about it. Hmm. And I wish I had been more stressed about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, like who knows? Maybe I would have done way worse if I'd been really stressed. Yeah, I'm just not sure how hamped up you need to be for a, a 50 mile that starts at 5 a.m. It's true. <laughs> um, I, I said it was weird that I slept the entire night. Like I didn't wake up once. And normally I'm I'm one of those like I'm. Well, up. remember that next time you're complaining about not yeah, sleeping. Right? Yeah, someone replay this for me next time. Uh, I don't know. I I just think I see value in pre-race nerves now. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. That's the inverted U of arousal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, next thing. No new things on race day. Uh, we've talked to a billion and one nutritionists about this. Uh, but and so we know, please don't eat the food that came in your like registration pack unless it's a brand that you already know and use and love. Uh, this is the if you know a race has aid stations with you know X, y, and Z stuff, try X, y, and Z stuff before you just take it at the aid station. Um, but you actually had a really good point about, the no new things on race day as well it pertains to the race. and i wonder too you know this stuff is probably a race week if not race month in some cases you want to have a lot of this ironed out and, and again we're, we're humans it's sometimes you have to do last minute things right if there's compelling evidence that your saddle isn't working for you or uh you know suddenly the nutrition stuff or you haven't you know for whatever reason you haven't gotten your nutrition ironed out it's it's not too late you can certainly do it and you should fuel or try your best you know uh, but yeah, I think this applies to a lot of things and what we've seen, you know, especially in mountain biking where there's the technical aspect, it, it's this idea that you're going to try this new stunt during the race or, you know, on pre-ride and it's not really the time, uh, when we talk about fitness, you, you I, I'm fond of rather than even base or, uh, you know, competition phase or something like that. I, I like the concept of accumulation. So you could say fitness accumulation or, uh, hours accumulation or skills accumulation, that's our base phase, you know, away from the races. So this is where you're accumulating skills, or we could say fitness for the task. So if you're a mountain biker, especially a, you know, an XCO, an Olympic discipline, there's a lot of jumps and whoops and rock gardens and descents and climbs and corners. And so your training should sort of look like that and should include those. You should be accumulating the skills so that you're fit for the task. And then we get into the race season, which is the utilization. So this is when we utilize the skills that we've built. Now, if you don't have the skills, that's okay. There's usually a, a beeline or a go around. It's a little slower, but you know we never want to take that chance in the Roxy, uh, Roxy Mallorca bike skills. Just recently, we did this episode with Roxy, uh, another bike skills coach uh, from Spain, and she, you know, we were talking about this concept of, you know. You, you don't really, even the people who are doing backflips are pretty sure they're going to land the backflip. Uh, and we progress to that over time, right? So I think similarly, we at the race, we don't want to get injured, especially before the race. 
but also during the race, right? Your best chance, if we were betting on your best result, it isn't a one out of 10 gap jump that you're going to run into and maybe scream at if you're a master's man. You know, that, that just doesn't make sense. One out of 10 chance just doesn't make sense. So you have to go around. It's clear, right? Don't spend time and energy, like get that beeline going really well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and side note, this doesn't mean that you have to know exactly how to do everything on that course or that that course is the only one you should have been practicing on. I think you're talking more about global skills. Like can 100%. you do a gap jump? I mean, most of the elites are not pre-riding these courses for weeks and weeks and weeks ahead of time, right? They're showing up one to two days at most, you know, maybe a Wednesday before a Saturday, something like that. That's how the World Cups work. And then you're applying the skills to certain, we could say maneuvers, or you could say to obstacles. And maybe there's, you've got to try it a few times. But in your brain, the ideal situation would be that your your skill is greater than what you can do at, at a quote unquote race pace. Um, and, and or that you, you can say, I've done something like that. And that takes years, right? So if you're a newer person, it's not that I expect you to accumulate all the skills of a, you know, 15-year-old or a 15-year veteran. You may have to take a beeline here and there, right? And that's, you know, there was pros taking beelines. I think Emily took a beeline because it was faster. There's nothing wrong. Sometimes the beelines are faster. They're just called the beeline. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like to think of it as kind of um, learning the skills are like having all of the ingredients, and then each course is like putting together a different meal, but with the same ingredients, basically. Like maybe you're changing up the spices, but like essentially you're you're using the same 10 ingredients and just shifting them a little bit to, hmm. to suit whatever yeah, you feel like I think making. That, that starts sounding a bit like that idea of sort of fundamental movements, which I don't know that I agree completely with. But that, I think that that is it. Um, you know, you have a, a bunny hop and a corner and you're going to combine these <laughs> in different ways, basically, right? To Maybe you're going to jump a little bit or, uh, you know, and that's sort of like a bunny hop. Oh, side note, DW got so many kudos because there's like a low course tape when we were crossing the course and he did this amazing little hop over it and everyone just like cheered for him. <laughs> it was great. He, he really was the, uh, the highlight of the race, I think. That's right. He yeah, did he stand did. on the podium. He was so. on the top box. Yep, yep. So that's that. So yeah, no new things and, and just be careful, right? And be gentle with yourself, but again, own your strategy. Um, you know, the skills are part of the tactics of yeah. the race. Yeah. So if you're taking the beeline, I think don't feel less or bad or whatever, because you're choosing the beeline. Think this is my race tactic. Like it's going to disadvantage mm -hmm. me if I try to do the A line. Yeah, Know it really well, embrace it you know, do the best you can on it. And then, you know, you may be saving some nervous energy or some explosive energy. Maybe you're not doing a big, you know, involved jump that, you know, everyone's a little nervous going into, and then you have to actually do the big squat and jump, um, you know, and then maybe you can climb a little harder, right? And maybe that's just the way it does. You know, everyone's better and worse at different things. They lose time and gain time. Yeah, and this gets into one of the points I had later here, which is don't redecide anything on race day. Right. Like know which beelines you're going to take and that's it. Like you're not halfway through the race and then deciding, you know what, I'm going to try this A line. Like no, sure. just stick to the B line. Yeah. And I mean, I think the pros often would do, you know, all of the options so that you have, you know, if, if someone crashes on an A line, you might have to take a B line. I've seen that happen lots of times or they close it because of weather or it's just a big line, especially on the first lap. Sometimes the B line will be faster because everyone's just, you know, slow and going through the A line. 
So I think you could give yourself options beforehand, but you want to be careful for sure. You don't want to suddenly get excited and send the A-line and then, you know, crash on the A-line that you didn't try before. And I would say that's not re-deciding. That's you had the te- you had the tactic that you're going to take the other line if it makes sense in the moment. And these are bets, right? They're like gambles. So uh, yeah, and maybe the B-line usually isn't, you know, sometimes B-lines are, you do need to sort of know the line a little bit on them, but usually like if you're going down the skills requirements, it's probably not the end of the world. There but. were a few really awkward ones actually on the Nationals course that people had to get off on because they were, instead of like for that, the step gap that you're talking about, there was a really awkward B-line around it that had a really sharp co- uphill corner. Yeah, it was a switchback with a bunch of roots yeah, on it. Yeah, and a lot of people couldn't actually make that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think if they'd, practiced it more probably could have and just known how to bring speed into it and And i guess the more global deciding is you know i'm never going to race again or i should have you know the worst is looking back you know i should have done more threshold intervals before this race and you're deciding this on the second lap of your thinking about that during (laughs) the race race. and these thoughts come in and in out of your head along with like i suck and you know this stuff and they're so strong and this is why you know we want to work on our self-talk and refocus focus refocus right so what are you okay we're thinking about what's next on the course what's next on the course what can i do i'm feeling like junk i said to you you know our race was pretty short yesterday so fueling wasn't a big deal but i was sort of popping pretty hard and i was like okay what can i do breathe deeply spin for a second and I was like, okay, you haven't taken any, you know, fuel on board. Maybe we take some fuel and see if the mood improves a bit, right? And oh, there you go. Okay, even the taste of the sugar helps uh, improve that mood, and away we go. Yeah, that gets into the race. If you're going to race, we have a whole episode on that. We've actually been hearing from a lot of people as we've been at races. People who listen to the podcast have come up and said that that episode is one that they've actually replayed a few times because it's it's that reminder that you're here, you're racing. You should, you're racing. And, and I feel like an ass sometimes using the rule, which is maybe a nice r- reason that it's sort of like, this is the rule. I didn't, I didn't invent it. I sort of invented it, but, uh, Definitely invented it. <laughs> but yeah, race, if you're going to race, it's, you know, if, if you signed up, you're going right. If you didn't sign up and it's the week before you're not going right. You already decided, you know, that's the thing is if you don't do anything, you decided, right. Like not doing anything is a decision. I actually had one of your coaching clients. Uh, I was chatting with him at nationals and I was like, Oh, are, are you racing today? And he's like, your husband wouldn't let me. So there you have it. Right. And then he, he actually was like, yeah, and that was that was the right decision. I have to do you know this ride and this training. Right. Totally made sense. Uh, but I thought that was really funny. I was like, oh, okay. And then similarly, you know, in the race, the other uh, thought that comes up is to like quit. And so we say, you know, the only way out is the finish line or, you know, the, they were using an 80% rule. So you can get pulled in some races or you don't make the time cut off in some races, which is fine. That's where we are in races, right? That's what you come back next time and you have a goal now all of a sudden, right? To do a little better. But we don't just, you know, we don't drop out in, in general. We try and not quit. Uh, but we also don't make that, dis- you know, the, the, the deciding, right? Like you're saying, you're wasting all this energy thinking like, should I, oh, maybe I should stop or something, right? And it's like, no, no, unless there's like a compelling reason, you know, if you crash horribly and someone's saying you should stop or, you know, the medics are there. But in most cases, just do the race you said you were going to do. Race if you're going to race. I think it's it's a pretty just, <laughs> you know, refocus. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is also don't think about what's next. And I mean, by that, I don't mean like don't think about the next lap. You can be thinking about what's next on the course. Sure. But I mean, more globally, this actually goes back to the goals episode we did a couple weeks ago, the not thinking about what's next in the season, uh, both in the, okay, that's it. I'm going to drop out of this next race. I'm done racing. My career is over Mm -hmm. uh, side, but also just thinking, kind of casting that vision forward to, okay, well, this race sucks, but next race. 
next week. It's the it's the same thing as like the the you know diet starts tomorrow. Like next week I'm gonna be this better version of myself. Next week I'm gonna start again. Like next week I'm starting over. I think mid race, like especially if you're not having a good race, it's such an easy time to start being like, okay, this race totally sucks. This race is a write off. Gonna start thinking about this next race. Next race I'm gonna crush it. Yeah, we don't. It's not really the time for it. Um, even I think the post-race reflection probably doesn't need to go that far while you're at the race, you know, enjoy the race, talk to people, watch the other races, take in the food, you know, the vendors, whatever. Um, you can do the post-race analysis a little later. I think give it, you know, sometimes people say, what is the rule? Like a 24 hour or water bottle or something like that. The water bottle post-race is when you get to pout. Okay. So you can pout about your race yeah, go as for, you finish. Go for your cool down and pout. As you finish your one water bottle. But once your water bottle's done, nope, you're back to that like smile, talk to people, enjoy the moment. And often just that act of smiling and talking to people is going to turn your mood around anyway. So yeah, definitely. Well, and give you some perspective, right? I always, it's like, I mean, it's a, it's just bike riding. And I think that we come back to that a lot of times, you know, for some, if you're a, an elite rider, which is not any of us listening to this, I assume, or maybe one or two, and thank you for listening. Uh, but, you know, there's people there who are, you know, had horrible days the day before, or, you know, their kids, they've been taking care of them in the humidity, or, you know, it's just people have, there's, there's stories, right? Like everyone's doing the best they can. <laughs> just enjoy it. All I can think though is just, I always come back to that one interview that Adam Meyerson did probably 12 years ago now that it's just stupid bike racing, but it's everything. We actually saw a school billboard had something about, it was like, kindness isn't hard. Oh, and then like the next screen actually just said, but it's everything. And all I saw the first time we passed it was, but it's everything. <laughs> I love it so okay. much. Okay. Um, I think most of us are going there for, you know, some element of socializing. So I think you definitely want to enjoy the environment, right? And don't try and, you know, again, I like when, you know, coaching clients are at races. It's great to see them face to face. You know, how did it go? It can be brief, but, you know, save some of that post-race analysis, right, for later. Um, Yeah, you don't need to go super deep, I think, at the race. You want to give yourself a chance just to enjoy it and watch the other races. And and maybe you can learn from even some of that too, right? Yeah, and I think if you catch yourself doing this a lot, I would actually say meditation can weirdly help here. Not that you're meditating during the race, but the point of meditation in regular life is this idea of coming back to the present moment, observing thoughts in your head, but letting them go. So, you know, it's natural that you're going to start kind of casting that future vision during your race if it's not going great or, you know, starting to think about the finish line when you're two miles into a 50 miler, for example. Um, But I think being able to kind of observe that thought, notice what you're doing and then come back to the present moment. Like, okay, no, I'm not thinking about the finish line. I'm thinking about this freaking hill that I'm in the middle of climbing right now Mm -hmm. uh, and focusing on that. So I think being able to bring yourself back to that present moment is a super valuable thing to be able to do in race. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, Next couple, we're into our last couple things here. Uh, This goes back to the gear thing, but control the controllables. Uh, So during my race, I... Uh, yard sailed pretty hard. I was transitioning between two little bridges, those those weird like two plank bridges that are on a lot of single track where they're boinging you up. They're just planks. That, like, well, these are arranged like skis sort of. Yeah, you know. so they bounce under you uh, as you walk or run. So I'm running across them. I bounced pretty hard on one as I was transitioning to the next one. So my bounce kind of caught me in a weird spot. So I ended up kicking un- into the next one, like right under it caught my toe and then just yard sailed into the bridge so it fell kind of flat on my face but 
uh, face was fine toe was not fine um like it w- it was probably the worst pain i've ever felt like in a race um and you know i'm standing there and thinking you know taking a beat here trying to figure out like can i walk on this okay can i can i run on this can i do anything on this do i turn and go back to the aid station you know two miles before or do i keep going the next eight miles to the next aid station and see what i can do and you know a lot of stuff's going through your head there and at that point hitting my toe was uncontrollable like in you know hindsight you're like oh maybe i could transition smoother but the toe wasn't uncontrollable at that point i could no longer control the fact that my toe hurt but like, what can I do? Okay, well, I can I can keep walking. I'm like able to walk. So it's clearly not like there's no bones sticking out of my shoe or anything. There's no blood on my shoe. I can walk. I can take a few sips of water. I can have a snack while I walk here and sort of ponder and like check in on how everything's feeling and if I can keep going. Um, so it was this going into that like triage situation of like, what can I control in this moment? I can't control the fact that my toe hurts, but I can control how I'm handling this situation. So just kept moving forward. It eased off enough that I could keep running through it. Uh, It's been an unpleasant few weeks since, but I I don't think I did any more damage to it by finishing the race or anything. A lot of times you can get through stuff. (laughs) Your adrenaline's up, I guess, right? Yeah. I try not look at stuff if I can avoid it. Oh, when it no, I did not untie my shoe. Yeah. I just looked to see well, if especially there was blood with feet, coming out. Yeah, with feet, you have to be careful getting them out uh, of the shoe. You may never get it back in. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would have. It's funny that walking thing is something, especially with my stage race uh, clients, right? The, so much can change if you just walk for a minute. And, and that could be in your mood, but also the terrain often changes. Uh, and especially with cycling, you know, mountain biking, Maybe it's really technical or really hilly, but if you walk for a minute rather than sitting and, you know, you're maybe eating or resting, you might say, but a lot of times you can walk and, you know, get the bar out of your pocket if you're going to get it or something and put it in your mouth, but then you can walk. And the thing is, if you walk for a minute, a lot of hills change, a lot of terrain, you, and then you might be staring at a downhill and then you could coast on the downhill and you don't even have to work, you know, you just really take it easy, but at least the wheels are rolling. So you were I just really get nervous about the zero kilometers an hour, zero miles per hour. But the perspective where you are in the world can change so much in a minute or two minutes of walking. Yeah. And you and I talked about that on an episode we did a few months back about the when can you walk in a race? Uh, and we were talking about bike racing. So it was that exact thing. And yeah, I mean, the the stopping, I think it's just one thing that I, I won't do. So even during that race, I, I kept going through aid stations. So like, don't you want to hang out? And they seemed really confused because even the the guys who I was sort of yo-yoing with would stop at the aid stations and be like sitting down and to me sitting down is like the death knoll like sure it yeah it's not gonna go and well I mean I think this is stuff that we want to practice right when we're talking about no skills on race day well don't like suddenly decide you're gonna take your hands off your handlebar or you know if you're a runner you know maybe you're gonna put your pack on backwards and like pull out some extra treats while you're walking or I don't know what else you'd do right maybe you're just eating something more solid and you don't you want to take a walking break but it is, again, you're moving, you're staying out of sight of maybe people who are chasing you, maybe you're advancing on people who are stopped at the aid station. Uh, and for cyclists, right, there's so much time where you could just be cruising along at whatever speed and, and just coasting. And so that would be a good time to do the food coming in or stretch your back or stretch your hips or stand up. Um you know, and this is stuff I think the elite riders, you know, do, obviously they don't often stop, but even the f- folks at the back, right. Just 
when you get a nice tailwind downhill, just you can stretch your back and that's your break and try and make more of these. But this comes with balance and on the bike and coordination. And if you can ride no hands, which sounds, you know, maybe some people think this is common, but it is not common. Even the one hand off the bars a lot of times, and this gets into, well, now you can't eat while you're riding. So yeah, the skills, it's a year round pursuit, right? And it might seem like a stupid bike trick, but that's taking your hands off your bars is, is a great, great skill. It, it lets you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Side note, we were talking about aid stations, actually, as we were talking about mountain bike nationals. And uh, I feel like we need to do maybe a video of how to prepare to to take feeds in an aid station because it definitely seems like that's something that people struggle with a little bit. So maybe we'll maybe we'll do a video on that. So look for that coming up. Maybe it'll be our first Instagram reel or something. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Uh, all right. And then last thing, uh, this might even sound a little silly, but actually celebrate the finish. And I think you and I are both terrible at this, um, but. And maybe not terrible at it. We I did occasionally a, probably a hundred foot plus wheelie. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's 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 not exactly what I mean, but I okay. guess. Uh, no, I mean, take the take the minute to celebrate the finish, no matter how the race went. If it, you know, whether you're super psyched with the result, whether you are not super psyched with the result, um, you know, just just celebrate the fact that you did the thing. Well, and the good things, sometimes that's the the thing is, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, you know, what did I do? I screwed up this step up, which I mean, if I'm honest, I probably screw it up one or two laps out of every time I've raced at this race, uh, which is a good note to remember, right? This is my skill I got to work on. Um, yeah, just even, you know, what did I do well? Because I did lots of stuff great. Uh, and, and I think that's important to, and I, I think that's true for anyone listening too, right? I'm sure you did, you know, finishing is great, you know, maybe not crashing, doing a great job fueling maybe stayed positive uh whatever right like this is you probably did and almost definitely did some things well uh and it's worth celebrating those right and and i think finishing alone is is worth celebrating but showing up on time not injured i think is i try and always especially for these big races showing up not injured on time at the start line celebrate because most of most folks are you know the the whole rigmarole of travel uh, you know, organizing kids, organizing works like it is, that is like when <laughs> that's like goal number one, like you've had a successful run into this thing. If you show up uninjured at a start line. Yeah, exactly. And I like, this is why I do the gratitude journal every day, but then particularly after races, I will try to think of 10 things that I'm particularly grateful for or happy about with the race. And I think that really helps sort of sh- shift your perspective on it and get you more excited for the next one. And and if we're not all positive, like Molly, one thing, like find one thing, because some, for some folks, this is going to be a, an hour long exercise of finding a thing. And that's okay. That's where you start. Um, I think everyone can come up with 10 tiny things and it might not be that you did. It might just be that like, well, it only poured rain for an hour of the 10 hour race or the aid station had so the you're, thing that you're I are happy about. Sure. Yeah. We're not talking about necessarily like 10 amazing things that I did because I'm the most amazing person in right. the entire universe. Goal getter. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone have that? That's a good domain. I just made that up. <laughs> are you serious? Everyone has. I guarantee that. There's I've never definitely- heard about goal getter. Yeah, I'm oh changing my, my career path. Oh boy, Peter Glassford will be accepting the goal getter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'll be accepting clients in his coaching, coaching coaches about coaching coaches business. I don't know. Coming up, this soon. is good. No, it's not. Okay. It's really not. I'm gonna be real. My okay. The domains probably aren't available. Yeah, it's definitely not available. Anyway, 
Celebrate we ha- the finish. Do we have any other things? I, I thought I had one. Do you have anything else on this? Things you've noticed in races over the last month? No, I mean, I think for me that that was sort of the the main list here, being as I was the one that made the list. So I feel like I was pretty extensive or expansive on it. Uh, oh, actually, I think the one the one last note is really just and we're both actually pretty good at this. I've gotten better at it. I'm not nor like I haven't always been uh, the prepare for after the race as well. It's so easy to think about all of the race day prep stuff as like thinking about what you need to race, what you need for the race. Uh, and then you finish the race and you're like, well, crap, I forgot a towel, extra water, uh, clothes to change into. I'm not going to lie. The other day after um, I did a run pre short track uh, and then we were there so I could you know watch the short track, I completely forgot a non sweaty sports bra. So I had zero spare bras with me. Okay. Well, I guess there's bigger problems in the world. There are bigger problems in the world. The, but, you know, it was just one of I those moments. I think so. Of- and I wonder if this is like, I, I often have talked about like you should prepare a podium kit because if you're not, you know, maybe you're not racing or something. But I, I think that's a pretty narrow, this isn't a rule I use often, but this is like a concept that I set for myself at least. Um, but a lot of times I, I there's no way I'm going to be on the podium, but it's like the mindset, I guess, right? But maybe the podium kit is, is actually, you know, just you want to look, put together and comfortable after your race which is a very Um, consummate athlete concept so yeah maybe there's you know those nice we have a couple white towels that i like to put in ziploc bags with some iced water uh they stayed iced this weekend which was a bit of a fail but eventually we got them uh, which is a funny problem considering how hot it was uh yeah but then fresh clothes or a kid it depends the scenario whether you need to get into another uh you know running or running or riding outfit Uh, it depends on your scenario but this could just be Again, comfortable clothes that, you know, the ones you want to wear. Yeah, enough stuff to clean off your face and just be comfortable. Uh, I think never assume that a race is going to have food at the finish line. Sure. Uh, I mean, even... even. I think that's less and less common now. Yeah, know? and Mountain Bike Nationals, they tried. They had brought in like a pizza thing, but by, I think it was 1 p.m., they were out of pizza. And well, that, that was it. to buy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I would always bring for sure your, we can call this your recovery food, but I mean, just food of some type, right? I think emergency bars and powders, whatever, but you know, even just a cooler is, is a great thing to have, especially if you're spending uh, hours at the race afterwards, which is some case, you know, you have spouses, friends, you know, you're taking in the pro race, you're waiting for awards. We waited for awards at Molly's race for, you know, probably four or five hours. And I think it's really hard to celebrate your finish if you're still just feeling completely grimy and disgusting and just desperately want to shower. So think about what you need to have with you to make your post race feel really nice. And you wonder how that, you know, goes into how you feel about the race and if whether you enjoyed it and stuff, right? So you finish, but then you're still uncomfortable versus being comfortable. Maybe you have a more positive view on the day afterwards. Uh, you enjoyed it. Maybe you're more likely to do it. And then I think if you're definitely going to do something like that again, you know, there's something else coming up. Uh, you know, I'm going into another race this weekend. Uh, we are thinking recovery, right? So this is, I don't want a saddle sore. We don't want injury. We want to sleep well. Um, you know, equipment needs to get cleaned. You know, certainly the nutrition piece is important. That's why you probably want to eat soon after the race. That's probably good common sense. Uh, you certainly don't want to go the entire day after your event and not, not eat, uh, you know, you maybe want to train midweek, right? So this is starting to increase the demands of recovery. So yeah, I think that's where our, our preparation and our, our routines, I guess, of race routine extends even past the race. 
Perfect. All right. So with that in mind, get out there, enjoy your next race. Uh, let us know if you have any questions about training, racing, race day nutrition, all of that fun stuff. You can hit us up over at consummateathlete.com or at consummateathlete on Instagram. And of course, we have a nice newsletter that goes out every week that has kind of all of our posts, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera in it. So definitely check that out if you're not signed up for it already. All right. Enjoy your weekend and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 